topic that I'm here to discuss with my guest today is one that maybe initially doesn't seem to have a lot to do with marketing. That topic is ADHD. But in reality, I think that a lot of people with ADHD are actually drawn to a career in marketing because it's fast moving, it's not routine, it's creative. And these are all things that people with ADHD often like because they can have a hard time focusing, they tend to be creative, they tend to be intelligent, much like my guest today, Aaron Croft. When Aaron and I met a few years ago, he was making the transition from a large consulting firm into a Fortune 500 company to lead change management efforts for one of the functional areas there. And he actually introduced me to a change model called ADCAR, which I use in my coaching business all the time now. And I really love being able to learn from people of all walks of life and particularly people that have interesting perspectives. And obviously, if you're a regular listener, you know that I love hearing different perspectives. And Aaron is certainly one of those people who thinks differently and has some great ideas and has had the courage to go out and act on those ideas. So he's here to talk to us about his new business, which is focused on helping people who have adult-diagnosed ADHD. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy his story. And now, without further ado, let the Mambo begin. Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. Everybody, it's Terry McDougal with another episode of Marketing Mambo. And as usual, I'm very excited about our guest today. His name is Aaron Croft. And Aaron is a very smart, interesting guy. Now, at one point in his life, it appeared that he had it made when he got into Harvard. But as he puts it, that was just the beginning of his demise. He actually struggled nonstop for about 15 years until he was broke, divorced, and earning minimum wage. But then later, he learned that he had adult diagnosis inattentive ADHD. And he's since gotten a master's in coaching psychology. And today, he has a business called Hidden ADHD. And he also has another business called Atypical Coach, where he helps coaches get new clients on TikTok. So I am super interested about both of these topics. I've known Aaron for a few years, and he is a very smart and interesting guy. And so I know that he's going to have a lot of really interesting insights for us. So Aaron, welcome to Marketing Mambo. Thank you, Terry. I'm very happy to be here. Very excited to do the Mambo with you and with all the listeners. Well, I'd love for you to tell your story of growing up and getting into Harvard and then those 15 years. Gosh, I was looking back, we met in 2018. I never would have guessed that you struggled because to me, you were just this icon of what we in the West consider to be success. So tell our listeners a bit about your story. Sure. So I grew up and I was a naturally good test taker. 
And I had a really good support structure around me in terms of education. So I had two older sisters who were smart. I had pushy Jewish parents who wanted me to get good grades. And I had a lot of smart friends who were really motivated. And those factors combined with being a really good test taker meant that I got good grades and good standardized test scores. And then that's all just brushed over the fact that I was spending all of my time in just constant stress and procrastination and doing everything at the last minute. But nonetheless, you get the marks and you get the things. And I was able to get into Harvard. It was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. But unfortunately, when you don't have the foundation in place, I got to Harvard, lost the structure, and basically just crashed and burned. It took me five years to finish three years of college because I had a whole year of college credit from high school. So I graduated in five years, but it's really the six-year plan. And I dropped out twice before graduating. And yeah, it was just a miserable ride. Wow. And so how long after that experience did you discover that you had ADHD? Yeah, I discovered I had ADHD by accident and very long thereafter. So by the time I graduated, I was probably 23, 24. And I also happened to get married just after that. And spoiler alert, it didn't work out. And basically, I went through the next 10 years or so of my career. Uh, I failed out of my first job after six months, my next job after a year and two months. Then I was like, oh, I'll start businesses. And I just kept going like from failure to failure. And it pretty much culminated in being 33. And my wife wanted to split up, which I don't blame her. So I ended up broke, divorced and earning minimum wage. And it was really only after that, that I had asked a friend to let me borrow some Adderall to finish something late at work that I had to get done. I'd never tried it in my life. And I took it just to get this thing done at work that was late. And I was just like Alice going down the rabbit hole if I'm like <laughs> mixing metaphors here. But I, I entered a parallel dimension where it was like, oh, I can just sit down and work on something I'm supposed to. Like That's what everyone's been telling me my whole life. Yeah. So interesting. The analogy that came to me was it's like somebody who had poor eyesight and they didn't realize it. And then they put some glasses on and were like, whoa, wow, the world's yeah. so much different. Yeah. Right. And people are like, well, why can't you read that sign over there? And you're like, oh, well, now I can read the sign. I didn't realize that everyone else could see it more clearly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm curious about how did you feel about yourself? When you were at Harvard and having so much trouble doing, you know, what apparently maybe other people didn't have to struggle so much with. Yeah. I mean, look, it was, it was rough, but you have to understand without the diagnosis of ADHD, you just, your brain picks up rationale and reasoning from around you, from your environment. So when my mom says, you just think you're above the law and that the rules don't apply to you. You're just lazy and arrogant and think you're better than everyone. And so you don't have to do what everyone else does. So then I'm just mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, well, these people are just brainwashed and they just really love school. And like, I clearly don't. But in hindsight, that was bullshit. I just was rationalizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually 
felt a little physical reaction when you were saying lazy and think you're above it all because, you know, that's, that's a lot of judgment. But anyway, we reconnected a few months ago. And the last time that we had talked before that, you are working for a very large company in a really interesting role. And then when we touched base, you were like, oh, I've started a business and it's called Hidden ADHD. You know, I'd love for you to talk a bit about what was it like and what was the impetus for you to decide to make that radical left turn? Yeah, it was definitely interesting. So there's quite a few pieces on this, but I imagine that some of your listeners could be maybe in a similar place. So basically what happened is it was around New Year's of 2020, and I was just doing some journaling, reflecting on my life. And I was reading this book, The Way of the Seal by ex-Navy SEAL Mark Devine. And in there, it was sort of like finding your why. And there were some journal questions. And one of the journal questions was, if you were told by a doctor, you only had one year to live, what would you do? And what would you regret not having done? And sometimes there's just like a journal question or something that just hits you like a ton of bricks. That one was just like, I just felt like so much of my corporate life was always about like, two years from now, three years from now, like work my way into the promotion, get the right placement, like build the right relationships and collaborators and sponsors. And it was just all this very long game. And it made me step back. And I was like, I don't want this. Like, I mean, I was playing the game. I was doing the things. I was invisible with the executives and I was moving up and I was doing high profile things. But I was just like, yeah, when push comes to shove, this doesn't make my heart sing. So then of course, like the crazy person I am, I'm thinking I'm going to go in and quit, right? Fortunately, if any of you ever in that position, pause and talk to a mentor or somebody. And I wasn't in touch with Terry at that point, although it would have been helpful. So I told one of my mentors what I was thinking. And he said, look, why don't you do it at the company? So I said, okay, that's interesting. And there's a really freeing place to be when you are at a company and you are just playing on house money because you're no longer trying to play the game, get promoted, do all these things. You're just following your own interests. My interest is around coaching, personal development. I set up a uh, program to do personal goal coaching. And we ended up running like 80 employees through it. And we were training manager coaches and stuff. And I got a ton of praise for it. It was like Aaron's doing this amazing thing. And I started a knowledge sharing session. So like at Google, that was one of their most popular things where employees would basically talk about something they knew to other employees. It's sort of like crowd sharing knowledge. And we'd have different presenters. And I got a ton of kudos for that. And so ironically, while I was like out the door, mentally checked out, I was doing all these things that ended up actually being very positive and well-received. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what was it? So it sounds like that was at the end of 2020 going into 2021. And then I think that you left Motorola yeah. in the summer. So what was it that finally led you to say, okay, now it's time to go? Yeah. Well, so I mentioned to you my career shambles in my 20s, and some of that involved trying to start businesses and doing so without proper groundwork. So I said to myself, all right, look, if you're really thinking about quitting, you've got to like dip your toe in and make sure that you're going to show up in this new business. So 
I started posting content on social media. And I pre-scripted how I would respond if my boss happened to come across it. But it turns out that social media is very crowded and we're not as important as we think we are. So it took a very long time till anyone actually saw my stuff. But I started posting. And one of the places I started posting was on TikTok. And suddenly some of the content I was putting out was resonating. And I hit like a thousand followers, like 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. And by the time I got up to 30,000 followers within the course of like two months, a few people at work started mentioning they'd seen something. They'd seen a video of mine. And at that point, I said, you know what? This is always what I wanted to do. Followers, audience equals cash in today's world. Like if you have an audience, you can convert, you can monetize that. And I said, okay. I feel comfortable with the 30,000 follower audience. And I threw my chips on the table. I had set myself this like sort of stretch goal to quit before I turned 40. And my 40th birthday was May 6th. And I gave notice uh, about a week or two before that. And uh, yeah, and then exited the corporate world. Wow. I love that story. And it's so interesting. I'm not sure you were talking about this a little bit earlier. And you know, I work with high achieving people like you. And one of the things that I wrote about in my book is that there's actually a professor at Harvard Business School named Tom DeLong, who studies high achievers. And his hypothesis is that high achievers are addicted to external validation. And from some of the things that you were talking about earlier, it does sound like you were really taking your cues from like, hey, what do other people think? And now that I'm in the corporate world, what do I need to do to get to the next level and get that box checked? And I think that what many people find much like you did is that you can be successful, but not be very satisfied with the life that you've built for yourself. And I really commend you for recognizing that you were living a life that you were like, I'm not very happy with this life, right? I want something different. And to recognize that you have the power to create it. And I see this so often in coaching that when people are able to shift that focus from what does everybody else think? Do other people think what I'm doing is successful? Is this title? Is this salary? Is this company impressive to other people too? What do I want? Like, what's important to me? What are my values? What do I want to be experiencing every day that we can move from, quote unquote, successful in other people's eyes to satisfied in our own life and judging our own life? So that's really cool. No, I completely agree. And, you know, I think it's a little bit of the blessing and the curse, especially with ADHD. So with ADHD, one of the common symptoms is that the motivation pathways in the brain don't kind of work the same way they do in a neurotypical sense. And so maintaining motivation with ADHD is just more challenging. And Mm -hmm. it's harder for many people with ADHD to maintain consistent motivation on like an external goal. And so the switch to internal as the fuel source ended up being really helpful. 
But yeah, it's a whole different way, right? And I know that you interviewed a guest a few weeks back who was talking about the four-hour work week and building a business from that. And 99% of the business building content out there is very neurotypical driven. It's very much like start with where the market opportunity is and product market fit, and then find this thing where you're going to make the most amount of money and do this and do that. And what I always work with my clients on our programs is that you need to start with, build it from your interest, build it from the inside, because there's things that all of us do, myself, Terry, anyone listening, right? That don't feel like work. Mm -hmm. And to other people, they're like, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it happens to be like reading books on productivity and neuroscience and marketing and business. I'll do that on vacation. I'll do it on the weekends. I think that's fun. Other people think that's torture. And so I've built a business around the fact my coaching business, my training business, and the work that I do is around the fact that for me, what feels like work to some other people feels like play to me. And Mm -hmm. when you build a business around that, you have a competitive advantage when you're working, but don't feel like you're working because you're just going to naturally outperform and outwork others as well as yourself in some better quote unquote business on paper. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny because I actually was on a podcast earlier today and she was asking me about my story from going to corporate to becoming a coach. And I've shared this story quite a lot. At at one point I just said to myself, what am I good at and what do I like to do? You know, and when I like delved into what I did as a marketer, you know, I was satisfied with some parts of it, but I didn't get to do as much of the things that I was good at and that I liked to do in my last career. And so I really took like connecting with people and helping them get clear on their goals and develop that roadmap and start implementing and encouraging and all of that kind of thing. I so agree with you that it is such a competitive advantage when you're doing something that you just love doing because it does not feel like work. It's very, very cool. I think that when we talked, like when we reconnected a few months ago, I was talking about the fact that one of the things I recognize about myself is that I call it shiny object syndrome. And it probably is some ADHD. One of my children was diagnosed with ADHD. And it's funny because, I mean, and certainly your evidence of this, that just because you have ADHD does not mean that you're not intelligent. Like, right. It means that I I think actually a lot of people that do have ADHD are probably more intelligent than your average person. And certainly with my son, he like taught himself to play piano on YouTube. (laughs) And he's like multi-instrumentalist, but didn't necessarily do great in school because it's hard to focus sometimes. Okay, taking it back, I'm demonstrating my shiny object syndrome here. But taking it back to like marketing, for example, I always found that that was like a really great career for me because we're always dealing with new problems. And so there's a lot of variety and I have to have variety in my life, in my career, because I get bored otherwise. And I like to have something new and meaty to delve into. And in some careers that can be certainly in marketing where there's a lot of things flying at you all the time, that that can be an advantage to be able to like shift But I'll admit that as an entrepreneur, sometimes it's hard to maintain the discipline that's really required to be as successful and to focus. So love to hear what your thoughts are on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a lot of clients who are in the corporate world and they're like, oh, I just want to be an entrepreneur and be my own boss. And, you know, they'll struggle with decision making in their jobs or in their personal life. And, you know, I struggle with decision making too. But there's a difference between going into overwhelm and shutdown around decision making and, just being able to move forward, realizing that there's a lot of right choices, but also no perfect choice. And so I'll tell them something like, all right, well, if you go down the entrepreneurial route, you're going to just magnify that by a hundred. There are a million things you could spend your time on. You could write a blog post, you could do a social media, you could do a video, you could be on a podcast, you could start a podcast, you could direct reach out to people, you could try to get posted and quoted in articles. I mean, there's a million different things you could do every minute of the day that all could be valuable. And so, yeah, so that's number one is just that that is the truth and it does happen. And number two, I mean, you know, I've hired you, right? Like I'm a huge believer in the value of coaching. And one of the things that happens, and this happens for all of us, right? Is we just, by definition, we have to get into the weeds in our own stuff that we're doing. But being in the weeds, it's sometimes hard to step back and see a path forward. And we have too much emotionally invested. So, you know, that's why even before I had income, I invested $20,000 into a coach on my business. Not because I didn't know all the things, right? Like I am book smart out the wazoo in marketing, entrepreneurship, productivity, ADHD, you name it, I know it, but I'm too close to it. And mm -hmm. so just, just the permission to say, you know what? You can't just do four launch emails. You need to do seven launch emails. You don't get enough data there. And okay, before you make your webinar evergreen, you need to run it live a certain number of times and make sure that it works and really refine it. Just things that you know, but when you're too close to, it's just really hard to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounded like you were describing me there when you were talking about like getting quoted and starting a podcast and being a, <laughs> I know you've already had this conversation with me, but yeah, it can be kind of dangerous as an entrepreneur to get out and not have imposed boundaries. When I worked in corporate, as long as the guardrails were far enough apart, I did really well because I could be what I call entrepreneurial within the environment. I could have that freedom but there were guardrails. I wasn't going to go off the cliff. And, you know, when you go out on your own, there's nothing except for yourself unless you put something in place that's going to protect you from yourself to do that. So super interesting. The only other thing I was going to say on that too is there's really interesting research around. So there's a book called Connected with medical researchers, Christakis and Fowler, and they looked at over 30 years of health data. And it, these are things that we intuitively know, but the short answer is the people around us have a massive influence on us, on our behaviors, on our decisions. And one of my favorite willpower free hacks is to simply just be around different people that are doing the things that I'm interested in. And so the problem is when we're in the corporate world, if we're thinking about maybe doing our own thing, or we want to pursue coaching, or we want to pursue a side hustle, we want to pursue this, but we're only surrounded by corporate people, we can only really plan for what we see. Sure, we can watch Elon Musk, but we're like, well, that's not me. That's a superhero 
or super villain, depending on your stance. (laughs) And so I love just being around other people. Part of the reason that I invested that $20,000 in the coaching was because I also knew I'd be around other entrepreneurs and all the group programs that I run. People are like, yeah, Aaron, you're coaching. Yeah, it's great. We love it. It's cool. They're like, but the real value is like the other people that you've pulled together that are ADHDers that are trying to become consistently productive. And they're like, I've never been around other people that are also goal motivated, but get ADHD. And then in my other business, like people trying to grow a coaching business through using TikTok. And they're like, wow, all these things that I was so scared of now that I see other people doing it that are just like me, I'm less afraid to post or to try this or to ask for the sale and all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that. And I feel like I've always been a big thinker and have looked at things going on around me and and wondered like why or been curious about people's motivations and so forth. But I agree with you. Like once I left the corporate world and I went through a, a coach training program. So I always say I found my tribe. And once I got outside of those confines, I was like, oh my gosh, wow, there are so many more possibilities than what I recognized before. And I was surprised by that actually because I thought I was a big thinker, right? But I was a bigger thinker than a lot of people that were like really nose to the grindstone and not really picking their head up to look around. But that was within a narrow environment. And once you knock those walls down, it's like, holy cow, it's a big world and it's a big universe. And there's a lot of things that are possible. And it is very empowering and encouraging to see other people doing things. And we learn so much from that, right? Just And not just how to do it, but just being encouraged that it's even possible. I'd love for you to talk a bit about your ADHD coaching program. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So look, what, what I tell ADHDers, and this is from my own experience, but also then from experience working with hundreds of ADHDers, is that there is a neurotypical path to productivity. And basically, when you run into a problem, I say that there's three neurotypical slogans that people hear, you know, just do it and no pain, no gain. And it's not that hard. And for a lot of people growing up, like those slogans work and they can just get into action and all of a sudden things just move forward. With ADHDers, those slogans, they're just like dead wood. They're like, huh, what? And it just doesn't kick our brain into gear. So I share with them basically a three-part system that does kick our brain into gear. So the first thing is one thing with all ADHDers, and it's one of the reasons that like spouses who have people with ADHD, like they nag and stuff, is that people get our brain into gear. And so I teach young people that you need people power, which kind of comes back to our conversation around community and the influence of others around us. But if someone expects something from you soon, you'll follow through on it. The downside of this is that this is a reason that many people with ADHD or who have this sort of trait end up living really unfulfilled lives. Because if the only way that you get stuff done is because someone else requests it, you're by definition, always living other people's goals because you're not in the driver's seat. But nonetheless, you can artificially create people power. So that's what we do in my programs because I'm an ADHD node. And so we put people together in these accountability buddy teams. So that's number one. And then number two is instead of this whole like no pain, no gain, we just tell people easy prevails. Most of us think, and this kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier, that like you're allowed to do the things as your job that don't feel like work. A lot of us got the impression that unless it's hard and we're not enjoying it, it doesn't count. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the opposite is really true, right? The more we can lean into those things that don't even feel hard to us, like, oh, isn't everyone just great at networking? Or isn't everyone just great at public speaking? Or isn't everyone just great at doing complex financial analysis? Whatever your jam is, whatever that is, not everyone's great at that. And if you enjoy it and it's easy for you, double down on that. And so that's number two, the easy prevails. And then number three, and this one's so big. And so if anyone out there is struggling with whether it's productivity, because what we work on is like how to be consistently productive day after day on your most important tasks. But even if it's a different goal that's struggling, like a different habit, the third thing that's missing is what I call pressure-free practice. So in any environment, we're not expected to learn a skill without practice, but practicing productivity where you're going to have commitments to other people, right? You need people power is really risky. Like you don't want to tell your spouse or your boss, oh, I'll do that thing when there's only a 50% chance you'll do it. And so what we do in my productivity academy is we create these accountability buddy teams and we have them practice every single day, making a commitment of one tough task on their number one goal that they're going to get done. And then they have to report. And their job is not to do the task. Their job simply is to report because self-monitoring is the first step in successful change. And so that brings to their awareness what's working, what isn't. And then we just build habits because ultimately, if we want things to be easy and we want things to be automatic, we need to make them habitual. And so that's why we focus on consistency over intensity. So it's every single day for eight weeks in our boot camp. it's you commit to one tough task and people get in the habit of this. And pretty soon after a few weeks, they start building muscle in it. And then they start taking on more. And then they stop beating themselves up because they realize that they're making progress every day and every week. And they don't get into like this stuck inertia place. And yeah, so we say that you will be at consistent daily productivity on your toughest, most important goals by week eight, or you can redo the entire program for free where our stuff is so well oiled that we know we can offer that. (laughs) Wow. That's so cool. When you were talking about that second part of your program, I agree with you. And I see it very often that things that come easy to people, they discount, right? And I I always (laughs) say like, hey, those things are your superpower, right? You have to lean into that. And so often, I think that many people have gotten in the habit of motivating themselves through negative self-talk, right? Like, oh, I should be doing this and that wasn't good enough. And instead of, to your point, easy does it. The things that come easy, I consider to be the superpowers. And I think that when we can start to appreciate that, we really start to value ourselves more. And when Mm. we can value ourselves more, we have more access to the energy to do the things that we need to do instead of wasting our energy on judging ourselves or measuring ourselves against somebody else's standards. Yeah. Yeah. So now I really want to hear about atypical coach and teaching people how to get more clients on TikTok. Yeah. Well, one of my core philosophies and beliefs is that expertise is misunderstood in today's world. And so most of us think of an expert, we think of an expert and we're like, oh, we think world-class experts. We think Elon Musk in business or the late Stephen Hawking in science or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I have a different view on expertise, which is that to a second grader, an adult is an inferior expert, is a poorer choice for expert than a fourth grader. Someone who's been through the experience recently 
Therefore, they can relate to the person's experience and they haven't forgotten the nuance about what it's like to struggle with it. They haven't abstractualized, if that's a word, it in their mind. A 40-year-old parent does not understand the intricacies and the insights that contribute to understanding second grade math the way a fourth grader who has recently had those insights would. And Mm -hmm. that insight was part of what enabled me to begin posting on social media and to begin my side hustle, which became my full-time gig, which was originally I looked and I said, well, you know, I'm hardly a world-class expert at productivity. I mean, you look at the Brendan Bruchards or Tim Ferriss, all these people like I can't hold a candle, right? Elon Musk works 120 hours a week. I mean, I'm lucky if I log like 45, 50 and I'm like, okay. But then I had this expertise perspective shift about fourth graders teaching second graders. And I said, I've studied the crap out of this. I have invested in productivity coaches. I have gone through Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, Brennan Bouchard, getting things done, David Allen. Like I've time boxing. Like I've gone through every system. I invested so much time. I've read so many books. I said, you know what? I may not be an adult in this space, but I'm definitely a fourth grader compared to some second graders. (laughs) There's some people that are further behind on the learning curve than I am. And that insight for anyone who's considering a side hustle or they're considering anything is just life transforming. I love that whole idea of a fourth grader teaching a second grader. I see it so often in my coaching practice that there's way too big of a gap between some leaders and their subordinates. And they get very frustrated because they're like, I showed them once, how come they can't do it? And then what ends up happening is that the subordinates not doing the task to the level that the leader wants them to. So the leader jumps in. And what happens is that to your point, they have forgotten what it was like to be a beginner. And so they can't even remember, it's what they call unconscious competence, right? right? They don't even know how they do it. And so they can't break it down and teach it. So I I love that whole idea. And it's actually very encouraging to me as well, because I love reading and learning and not everybody does. And sometimes just sharing something that you've read and people are like, oh, wow, that's mind blowing. Right. Right. Exactly. And then, so I'm sitting here, right. And like those first two months out of my fortune 500 job were shaky. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go back with my tail between my legs and be like, I need my job back. But I made it through and built a successful coaching business. I've had 30 grand months, like things have really picked up. And I got to a point where I was really looking at what the next step was in my business And again, coming back, checking with things that I love to do. And I've been just adoring learning about marketing, coaching business, how to make this work and going through the process. And I was like, man, I just went through this crucible and I don't need to go back to my corporate job. I think the statistics are like 85% of coaches fail or making like sub $15,000 a year. Think like ridiculous. I've learned so much and I've enjoyed learning it. I've just gone through the crucible. I'm the perfect person to help other coaches who are making this jump. I told you that TikTok was my avenue out. So I was like, now I've got over 100,000 TikTok followers. Let me teach other coaches how to use TikTok to build their coaching business because I've just gone through it. So that's when I set up the atypical coach. Very cool. Well, I'm sure that even people that are 
not looking to set up a coaching business, but are just interested in marketing and interested in how to leverage TikTok could probably learn from following you. What's your handle on TikTok? It's at atypical.coach. Literally, I just started this channel, but there's some good content popping in there. And I think you definitely can relate to some of it. Yeah, I'm sure I'm definitely going to go out and and watch some of your TikToks because I know that I can learn a lot from you as well. So Aaron, I always ask all of my guests as we start to close, what's your last word of wisdom for our listening audience? Yeah. So honestly, it's this idea of people power and you can take that any way you want. It's definitely great from a productivity standpoint when you're accountable to someone else and to set that up. But it's also great just from a marketing standpoint where you want to bounce something off someone else. I mean, Terry and I have had conversations and she and I can share marketing ideas back and forth that are so easy and obvious to see in the other person's business, but are so hard to see when you're inside the fishbowl trying to look out at your own business. And in your corporate marketing gigs, it's bouncing something off a colleague or even someone at a different company and getting a read. Am I am I just embracing this jargon and, and talking in a way that isn't the problem language my audience uses? Am I trying to just talk about our solution rather than the symptoms and the problem that my customers are looking to solve? I know it's back to basics and marketing, but it's so easy to get lost in not doing it because of the people that we're around and because we tend to be in these little bubbles. And so that would be my word of wisdom. I love that. I like to think of it as the blinders. You know, we have blinders on and we don't realize we have blinders on. So we think we're seeing everything that there is to to be seen. And that can really cause us to make decisions with less than optimal information. And Sometimes just asking, maybe there is a different perspective. Who can I talk to about that? So that's so great. Well, Aaron, it's been really a treat to talk to you again. I love the way that your mind works. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can just search hidden ADHD, hidden because it tends to go under the radar for people that are diagnosed as adults, or you can search atypical coach. So either of those and you will definitely find me. Great. Well, I'll put links in the show notes as well. Aaron, thanks again for coming on Marketing Mambo. Thanks, Terry. So great to see you and congratulations on your over 70 plus episodes. I think it is just great work. Yeah. Thanks for being my guest. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios.